Good morning, church family. Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you are with us. Ready to study God's word together this morning? Okay. He abandoned them. Paul and Barnabas and some others were on this really important trip. They were on a mission. They were traveling all over, sharing the great news about what Jesus has done. And right in the middle of their travels, this guy bailed. He packed up and went home. This morning, we are beginning a teaching series that we've called God-Man, in which we are studying together the book in our Bibles that we call Mark, or the Gospel According to Mark. And we got a very smart group of people here, so I'm going to guess that you can guess who wrote the Gospel According to Mark. Yeah, Mark. But did you know that the gospel according to Mark is written by the guy who bailed, who jumped ship, who abandoned his friends in the middle of an important mission? So ask me, how'd that go over? Okay, ready? I know, you see, you're getting used to me. Okay, ready? So I need you to ask me, how did that go over? It didn't go over well. Paul, it didn't go over very well. Thanks for asking. I'd like to tell you. It didn't go over very well. In fact, uh, Acts 15 will be on the screen here. It gives us a glimpse of how this went over with Paul. Paul and Barnabas were on a mission together, and Mark had bailed in the middle of it. And now Paul and Barnabas are discussing going on another trip. And you'll see in Acts 15 that there a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas, between these two godly men who want to serve Jesus and want to proclaim his glory, a sharp disagreement arose because Barnabas wanted to take Mark and Paul didn't because Mark had bailed last time. So much so, that, uh, so, so much was this disagreement that they separated. They went their separate ways and what was supposed to be one trip became two different trips. Paul and others going one way and Barnabas taking Mark and going a different way. So, Ask me, did they ever reconcile? Hey, good question. I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about that. On the screen, you see some verses that give us a hint that there was reconciliation, that the relationship was brought back into, into, uh, right, uh, into the right way. In Philemon 24, uh, you see Paul referred to Mark as a fellow worker. He does that in Colossians 4.11. You also see in Colossians 4.11 that Paul refers to Mark as having been a comfort to him, and perhaps most telling, that bottom verse on, your, on the screen, 2 Timothy 4.11, is Paul saying, hey, go get Mark. This is later, after things had, had smoothed out. Go get Mark. Mark is useful to me for ministry. So if you were here last Sunday, we've talked about the fact that throughout our Bibles are people that are not perfect, right? That fall short that sin, that rebel against God, that try really hard but can't do it on their own. Guys like you and people like, guys like me and people like you are throughout the scriptures. Not perfect, but they go on to serve Jesus anyway because he is with us. And here's another example of a guy who bailed out. We don't know what was going on there, but then later God uses him, this is John Mark, to write Bible. The guy who bailed, 
is right in Bible. So God used Mark to write what we, what we know to be the earliest account of Jesus' life and ministry. At the beginning of your New Testament, you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we would call the Gospels. They're all stories about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, among those Gospels, Mark is the one that was written the earliest. It was probably written in, from Rome in the 50, uh, late 50s, early 60s AD, so maybe just 20 or 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And God used Mark um, to write this account of Jesus' life uh, that then, interestingly, when Matthew and Luke wrote their accounts of Jesus' life, they reproduced, they used almost every verse in Mark. And then God used them to write some different things as well. So, why is Mark the author of this book of the Bible? Mark was not an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. Mark was not one of the original 12 disciples that was there with Jesus day in and day out. So, ask me. I didn't give you the question yet. Now, now you're really excited. That's cool. You're like going to ask me something before I even tell you. Ask me, where did Mark get his info? Hey, you know what was really cool about this? Mark was close with Peter. Mark was close friends with the Apostle Peter, and we know Peter was very close with the Lord Jesus. And so, the material we find in the book of our Bible entitled Mark, it comes to us because Mark became somewhat of an interpreter or a scribe for his good friend Peter, likely as Peter traveled around preaching and telling the stories and the good news of Jesus, Mark became very familiar with Peter's eyewitness account. Are you with me? So what Peter had seen in person and in great detail, Mark was hearing in this preaching and passing along with God's Spirit carrying him along, writing down very carefully and without error what he heard from Peter. So this is a um, a reason why we have affirmed Mark to be inspired by God and part of our Bibles. Now, uh, we're going to study Mark for the coming, coming weeks and months. And we're going to see as Mark is, the way that Mark is written, not just me, but a few people guess, the Apostle Peter must have been a pretty lively preacher. The Apostle Peter, can you imagine, I mean, what, if you know a little bit about Peter, this character, the ups and downs of Peter, the excitement and, and can you just imagine that now this man, transformed by Jesus and having the best news in the world ever to tell, Peter must have been a lively preacher because the stuff that Mark writes down is fast-paced, Jesus in action, detailed, as if you're there. It's like these little episodes throughout the book of Mark. We get episodes, news briefs, news alerts of who Jesus is and what he does. The gospel according to Mark. Um, I'm sort of new here, so you don't know this, but as you get to know me, when we do some teaching in the Bible, sometimes we'll do sermon series that are only four or five weeks long. We'll study a certain topic. Other times we'll get into a book of the Bible and it'll take us 10 or 12 weeks to get through that book of the Bible. I want you to know, friends, unashamedly, that we will be in the gospel of Mark for 40 plus weeks. Now, depending on where you're coming from, you could go, oh my word. 
But here's where I'm coming from. And here's where this church family is coming from. Because of how we view the Bible, 40 plus weeks, verse by verse through the Bible, is going to be really good and really fun. Amen? Amen. Well, you just, maybe you didn't mean it, but we'll, we'll, we'll mean it eventually. <laughs> we'll find out. This is week one. We'll find out. Here's what we think of the Bible around here. On the screen is a part of the statement of faith of the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's quite a mouthful. If you did not know, Faith Free is part of a group of churches called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And as such, we have a doctrinal statement that states what we believe, what the Bible teaches. And this is a part of it. And I know it's a little small, but I'm going to read it. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures. Both Old and New Testaments, that's the front and back part of your Bible, through the words of human authors. God speaking as he carried along human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. When this book was written in Greek or Hebrew, it was without error. The, complete, the Bible is the complete revelation of God's will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, the Bible is to be believed in all it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all it promises. That's how we hold the word of God at Faith Free Church. And that's why week after week, you're going to come and you're going to open your Bible and you're going to keep your finger in God's text. And we're going to ask him and we're going to know he will speak to us through it. So why the gospel of Mark? Because Jesus is the God-man. Why would we want to study one of the gospels, the story and ministry of Jesus? Why? Because it tells us about Jesus. And what's up with this term, the God-man? Well, I'm going to show you one more, one more chunk of the EFCA doctrinal statement. Let's look at this one. This is incredible stuff. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, meaning God in the flesh. Fully God, I don't get it either, fully God and fully man. One person in two natures, there's the God-man thing. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, the rescuer that was promised in the Old Testament, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Here's another glimpse of God-man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in a human way of a human woman. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, which we celebrated last Sunday. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. I want to know that Jesus, the God-man. So we're going to study the gospel according to Mark together. In the gospel according to Mark, we see Jesus referred to in both ways as son of God and as son of man. Son of God comes in chapter 1, verse 1, where Mark explains what he is setting out to do. I am telling you the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who? The son of God. And then later, when Jesus is hanging on the cross in chapter 15, the soldier, watching the, the method of his death, proclaims, truly, this man was, what? The Son of God. And then, uh, we also know of Jesus' humanity. 
we know that he was born of a woman. And in this book and elsewhere, the most common way that Jesus refers to himself is as the Son of Man. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And I don't know about you, but at first glimpse for me, I would assume that was to give us a reminder of his humanity, the Son of Man. But when Jesus proclaims himself to be the Son of Man, something really significant is happening here. What's happening when he designates himself the Son of Man, he is reminding us of of prophecies in Daniel chapter 7 of the Son of Man coming on the clouds, a divine and sovereign authority. So when, so when Jesus calls himself Son of Man, yes, it can remind us of his humanity. It also reminds us that he is the promised rescuer, God himself. So, all of this is just kind of getting us ready to study Mark together. We're spending a lot of time just thinking about why would we spend 40 plus weeks, 40 plus Sundays, probably till next Easter, studying the same book of the Bible. Well, what are Christians? Christians, by definition, are followers of? Followers of Jesus. So we want to know Jesus. We want to study about the life and ministry of Jesus. We want to ask God to help us know Jesus more. We want to follow and obey Jesus in our lives. And so, As we come to God's word today and in the coming weeks, I want us to ask, how will studying the life of Jesus change me? How will I be changed as a result of knowing Jesus more? Whether you just became a follower of Jesus, whether you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, how as we enter into these times of study might we be changed by what God wants to do? This morning's passage, this morning's chunk of scripture in your Bibles I'm about to have you turn to, this section of scripture in, uh, includes probably the key verse of this entire book of Mark. And you've already seen it on the screens. And it's a way that Jesus is indicating, I think, at least one critical way that we will change. As we encounter Jesus, and become close with Jesus, and follow Jesus, I think our passage this morning gives us one critical way that we will change. Grab your Bible, open to Mark chapter 10, if you would. If you don't bring a Bible each week, I'd encourage you to do so. If you don't have one, let someone here know so we can get you one. Bring your Bibles, open it, put your finger in it, and we're going to study it every Sunday together. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 35. Now, I just got done telling you, we're going to study the whole book of Mark, and then I had you turn to Mark chapter 10. That's kind of weird. Today is Mark 10. Tomorrow, uh, next Sunday is Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and on through, okay? All right, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35, and I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll talk. And James and John, this is two of the 12 disciples, is two of, again, two of Jesus' close friends. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, we touched on this last Sunday, I think this is amazing and ridiculous. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Seriously? And And Jesus said to them, 
What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left when you're in glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Let's talk for a second about what makes their request so outrageous. Um, as I prepare for these Sundays, as I prepare to stand and teach God's word, I get a lot of help from a lot of people a lot smarter than me, read a lot of books. And there's a pastor and an author named Kent Hughes that was helpful for me this last week or so preparing for this morning. He points out a couple things about this outrageous request, James and John's outrageous request. Even though the disciples had spent three years with Jesus, the ideal servant, they make this audacious request. Even though Jesus had just a few verses earlier foretold his coming suffering and death and resurrection for the purposes of serving, of giving his life, of putting others first, James and John make this wild request. And even though Jesus had taught his friends that Jesus' ministry of serving others, of giving, was to be the model for them, was to be the model of how they ought to live, they still ask this question. So this question from James and John, it, it betrays their thinking. It betrays their true motives. Their question gives away the fact that their thinking and motives are actually nearly opposite of Jesus, the servant. These guys saw the end was near. Maybe they did get a clue, sort of. It didn't seem like they always are tracking with what Jesus is saying is going to happen. Maybe they did sense that the end was near. And maybe they thought, this is our chance. I think the end is near, and it's going to involve a throne for Jesus. So maybe there's going to be some other little thrones next to him. I want one of those. And maybe James and John even hustled to Jesus' side to ask this audacious question because they wanted to beat Peter to the punch. They knew that Peter and Jesus were like this. So they were trying to get their chance. They wanted to get the best spots. They wanted the good seats at whatever was about to happen. Uh, Matthew's gospel. When Matthew tells this story, Matthew gives us another interesting detail. James and John sent their mama to do their dirty work. <laughs> but we chuckle at James and John and Peter and all the other knuckleheads in Scripture that don't always get it. And we think we'd never do such a thing. I'm not sure we would do something quite as crass and blunt as run up to Jesus and say, hey, do whatever we want but we still jockey for position, don't we? Don't we in our lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, even within our church family, jockey for position? Robert Raines wrote these words. You can follow along on the screen. 
I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, satisfy my needs, give me strategic advantage. I exploit people ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own sake. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track, obtain special favors, to get your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, and your blank checks for whatever I want. I am like James and John. Let's read a little more from God's Word. Hopefully you got your finger there. Still in Mark 10, now we're at verse 41. So James and John had come and asked this this thing that they wanted the seats at the right and left. Verse 41. And when the ten, this is the rest of the twelve disciples, the other ten, when they heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all to him and said, You know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why, why does Jesus, why must Jesus give his life as a ransom? Why did that happen that Good Friday long ago? Why did Jesus give his life as a ransom? Tim Keller sums up the gospel this way, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The good news that we proclaim is that Jesus served by paying the ultimate price, by giving his life as a ransom for many. The ransom, Jesus' very life poured out, was paid to God the Father, who accepted it as payment for the sins of many, making it possible for you and I to be forgiven our sin, made right, our relationship put back right with God, and as a result of Jesus' ransom paid for us, new life, we talked about last Sunday, new life eternal to come at the end of our earthly lives, and new life now, rich, full, meaningful, not perfect, but rich life now. Now, 
Not only did Jesus, though, give his life as a ransom for many, serving us in that ultimate way, giving his life, but also he completely redefined our view of leadership, our views of influence, significance, with what he just said. In complete contrast to the way the disciples' world saw leadership, and the way our world today sees leadership, in complete contrast to that, quote, Jesus called it, lording it over them. In contrast to that, Jesus calls his followers to be like him, to serve, to give, to demonstrate God's love through giving away our time, our resources, our energy, our lives. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus want to imitate Jesus. Followers of Jesus do what Jesus does. Jesus served, gave. And because Jesus modeled a life of of serving, of giving, of loving, we as his followers then follow in his example. Not on our own strength, not to earn brownie points with God, but we serve out of thankfulness to what Jesus has done. We serve because Jesus is changing and transforming us from the inside out, giving me a new heart and new desires. And so I want to live for him. And because he gives me the spirit of God, God himself dwelling within me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is empowering you to live for him, to give, to serve, to pour out. And since our rescuer servant Jesus served and gave it all, why, why would we then just live for ourselves? Knowing Jesus and the way he served us, why would we then just seek great things for Derek? Why would I then want to just look out for number one? Let's not seek um, positions of importance. Let's not strive for significance. Friends, are you with me right now? Let's not seek position, importance, and glory for ourselves. Even in a church family, let's not be satisfied to live a comfortable, easy Christian life, doing what we've always done as followers of Jesus. Let's not not be satisfied to look for what we get out of it including participation in a church family. Let's quit trying to find significance and importance in what other people think of us. And instead, let's ask God to help us to more deeply grasp what it means to follow a Lord who is crucified and risen to new life. Let's ask God, instead of living for us, to show us what it means to follow a crucified and risen Lord who gave his life for many. We can do that too. Following Jesus and empowered by the Spirit, giving our lives for many. Do we imitate Jesus in our care for the least of these, the disenfranchised, the hurting, the poor that we encounter every day, both here in Dallas and the poor, the hurting, across the world, in Uganda and elsewhere? Do we imitate God's heart for them? 
Do we proclaim the good news of Jesus in word and deed? Okay, wait, I just said it. I'm asking us to ask ourselves. Do we proclaim in word and in deed the good news of Jesus? Or are we sometimes just okay with leaving that part of following Jesus to the professionals? That's what my pastor does. He tells people about Jesus. Those missionaries that we have pictures of in the lobby, that's their job. No. As Jesus changes you, each of you followers of Jesus is a spirit-empowered missionary right where you are today, this week, this month, in everyday situations, stuff you're already doing, workplaces you're already in, classes you're already in, conversations you're already in with people you already are in relationship with, you're a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? And if you know it, do you believe it? And if you know it, do you ask God to empower you to live it out? We have opportunities every day in everyday situations with everyday people to serve and give because Jesus, our ultimate example, served and gave. So take a minute before we, before I step down from up here, take a minute. What, what does that look like in your life this week? To serve, to give. Some of the most exciting stuff I think that God is doing in and through Faith Free Church and Faith Christian School is, is impacting and blessing the lives of children to the glory of Jesus. Because as we share the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done with kids on Sunday morning, our team of awesome staff and volunteers here on Sundays and other days of the week that in our children's ministry love our children and our teens and point them to Christ, we are making disciples. We are helping followers of Jesus follow Jesus and they're going to make other followers of Jesus and change the world. And as we educate children at Faith Christian School, we are making disciples. And if you want to be part of that exciting mission to the kids, VBS is coming up. Behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, you're needed. You have an opportunity to serve, to give. And if God is changing your heart for, if God is giving you his heart, I should say, for the disenfranchised, the hurting, the needy, the less fortunate. You don't have to look very far for opportunities to serve and give. You could find out more about our House of Hope ministry to the residents at Dallas Mobile Home Village and find opportunities to serve, to give. And if you're not sure where you fit, I know sometimes you say, I don't know, but I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what, how God would want to use me. We would love to talk to you about that. You could talk to me. You could talk to someone at the Connection Center in the lobby. We would love to help you figure out what's God made you to do. Where are opportunities that we have in our church family and in our community and across the world to serve and give? So as we follow, friends, as we follow Jesus, the God-man, Jesus, the rescuer servant, let's look for opportunities to serve and give because 
We can love because God first loved us. We serve because Jesus served us. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, a loving Heavenly Father above all, the only God, creator of all. We look to you this morning. We thank you, Father, for your word, the Bible that sits in our laps, that we have written in our language, that we can study and read. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. Would you make us people of the word, not just on Sundays, but would you draw us closer to you by spending time in your word throughout the week. Father God, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. We thank you that he gave his life so that we might live. Our rescuer came as a servant. So Father, as followers of Jesus, help us to live for Jesus. Help us to live for his glory, not our own. And Father, this morning, I pray for myself and each person here. Would you show us how we can serve Jesus, how we can glorify Jesus by putting the needs of others first. Instead of looking out for number one, God, would you give us your heart for people? Help us to live out lives of of giving ourselves a way of serving others. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say, we are the church. We are the church. So as I pray for you this week, I am going to pray that as you follow Jesus, you will live like Jesus and you will serve and give in radical ways that he gives you an opportunity to do. Okay? Because we are the church and God is living in you and wants to work through you. Loving others because he's loved us. Serving others because he has served us. Hey, um, come back next Sunday. We'll be in chapter 1, verse 1. And buckle up. Here we go through the gospel according to Mark. And we get to do this every Sunday. We get to celebrate Jesus together every Sunday. And those of you that are here, we get to do that together. Bring one, a friend with you next Sunday. Or six. Particularly those who are living apart from Jesus. And don't get to celebrate what he wants to do in their lives. And we would love to have them join us. We would love to have a seating problem every Sunday. Okay? So bring them back. We'll start, Mark. And and between now and then, let me just give you one little encouragement, one little piece of, I won't call it homework, but maybe it's kind of like homework. Read the Gospel of Mark this week. The whole thing. You could do it in one sitting in about two hours if you're an average reader. If you're slow like me, it'll take you longer. Or you could do just a little chunk each day, whatever. But between now and next Sunday, read the Gospel of Mark. I know God would use it in your life. And uh, we'll continue to study it together next Sunday. So uh, say, we are the church. We are the church. Go live it out. Lord bless you.